tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. I don't know about that. In fact, the radio show, I'm not, I'm not sure it is. It's more like an elaborate phone conversation. But that said, today is the day of prayer for the legal protection of unborn children. And, um, oh, I, gosh, oh, I went, we got a lot to do. So I, I, I wasn't going to, I was going to go straight through the prayer, but I got I to gotta say this. I was um, on a retreat this weekend, and one of the mothers who was hosting, uh, you know, kind of taking care of things, um, she always makes a sign of the cross when she passes uh, an abortion place. I don't know what to call them. But uh, her little daughter was only five when she saw her mother cross herself. She said, is something wrong, Mommy? And she said, well, they got to, um, this kid's got to hear this sometime. And she said, well, sometimes mommies go here because they don't want their babies and, and, and they, they kill their babies there. When, when before they're born, and this little girl just was horrified. Why would anyone do that? Uh, it just it just struck me. This it was uh, the retreat was wonderful, and I'm not going to mention any names, but um, I, I was so touched by that story. So I heard another story about uh, someone, <clears throat> a missionary with a, a tribe of indigenous people. Who, who talked about abortion in America, um, in a distant place. And they started laughing. And he said, why are you laughing? Well, that's, that's quite a joke. He said, it's no joke. They do it. At which point they started crying. Uh, the natural reaction to the murder of unborn is horror and sorrow. But we are so jaded in this country that we think it's a matter of politics. That said, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Excuse me. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit. They shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort. Through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, Grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan all the evil spirits who go about the world seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Mary, Queen of the Unborn, pray for us. In the name of the ble- in the name of the, <laughs> the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Oh, it's going to be one of those shows. We got a lot to do. All right. Open the big book on the coffee table. You will notice if you look at the note. This is the second book of Samuel, the fifth chapter, the first to the seventh verses. We have just jumped from. Oh, I think. Uh, 1 Samuel 20 or 19 to this. 
please, please read First and Second Samuel. It will not take you long. It is amazing. And you will have questions like, what does it mean is Saul among the prophets? That he threw himself on the ground and prophesied all day long, and there's more stuff to it. You won't believe what's in that text. <clears throat> Do it, and then call and ask me questions, because this is a great— this is one of the pivotal books in the Bible. All right, moving along here. I am going to make a quick summary of everything we haven't read yet. All right, uh, you <clears throat> number 17 and 18, chapter 17 and 18 of 1 Samuel. This is where David meets Samuel, and it's very confusing and ambiguous in the, the, the compilers of Scripture. Remember, Scripture was, was oral before it was written. People remembered things very well, and they trusted memory more than they trusted writing. <clears throat> so these were oral traditions and oral stories that were verbatim. Uh, to this day, there are very old men in Ireland who can remember poems that are as long as the Iliad and the Odyssey in, in Ireland. These, I, I think there's still a few of them alive. Uh, we write things down so we, we forget them because we've written them down. I write them down and then I forget them and that I've written them down. Well, in chapter 20, David angers Saul, and uh, we read that because uh, <clears throat> he skips the, the new moon festive meal, and, um, but Jonathan uh, helps save David's life. That's Jonathan, the son of Saul, who's going to be king, but he realizes he's never going to be king. And then we talked about uh, David uh, escaping uh, um, uh from Saul in chapter 21, and that's where he hides in a cave and cuts off the edge of Saul's mantle while Saul is responding, he said delicately, to the call of nature, and they're reconciled very briefly. And then uh, the 22nd cha or the 21st chapter, uh, <clears throat> David um, flees to the Philistines, uh, and he pretends he's, he's go crazy. And for us, crazy is, well, crazy. But in the ancient world, people believed that if you were crazy, you had been touched by the gods and you were dangerous. And so uh, they don't kill uh, uh, David because he's been touched by the gods. That's where we get the word lunatic. It comes from the word luna. You've been touched by the moon, moonstruck. And the moon was a goddess. And twenty, uh, the 22nd chapter, David escapes from the Philistines, and uh, <clears throat> he sends his parents over to the east side of the River Jordan, to Moab, uh, to keep them out of harm's way, because Saul would have killed them. And uh, uh, the, the whole family of the high priest, Ahimelech, because they helped David, had been killed, except for Abiathar, who Jesus mentions. We talked about that the other day. And then... <clears throat> David protects the city of Calah from the Philistines, but Saul then chases David into the mountains, and people come to David, and he gets this band of brigands. They really are brigands. There, there are about 400 of them, the Bible says. They came to David, and they, they, they formed a bit of a, well, a dangerous bunch of people. And uh, we read that um, in the 25th chapter of 1 Samuel, David asks Nabal for provisions. They don't fill it out in the survey, the summary I'm reading, but... David says to Nabal, my men, and I will protect you from any harm. Who's going to harm me? You never know. David was running a protection business. I mean, this is the important thing to, about this. Uh, this is a man after God's own heart. 
And he was a thug. He was running a protection business. <clears throat> and he was going to come back and kill Nabal because Nabal said, go away. I don't need your help. And his wife, Abigail, comes up to Nabal and says, you're well named because Nabal sounds in Hebrew like the word Nabal, which means fool. So uh, uh, so she she loads up some donkeys with supplies for David and his men. She goes down and says, I'm sorry I wasn't here to meet you. My husband didn't understand, yada, yada. And David says, good, because I was just going back to kill him. Well, she goes back and says, he was on his way back to kill you, you idiot. At which point Nabal has a heart attack, drops uh, drops dead, and David takes Abigail, wife of the widow now of Nabal, into his harem. <clears throat> this is a soap opera. That was live, dear voice of my head, wasn't it? The voice of my head just said, is this a soap opera? This is, yes, this is an amazing story, and it's history. This is the national hero. He's a thug. He's he's runs a protection business, and he, he's hiding with the Philistines. So... Uh, um, we come to the end of it. Uh, Saul uh, uh, has banished all the people who practice sorcery and witchcraft from the land. But then he goes up to Endor to talk to the witch of Endor to summon up the ghost of Samuel. It's a really powerful scene. Read it in the Bible where the ghost of Samuel comes up from the earth and says, why are you bothering me? And yeah, you're going to die. So, uh, 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 Saul dies in the battle with the Philistines at, uh, uh, um, oh, where was the ba battle? At? It was, um, oh gosh, it was somewhere in the north. So Saul and most of his sons die. Jonathan is killed. And the guy who brings the news, well, what happens is Saul wants to commit suicide and he can't do it. And there's an Amalekite. This is real important. Okay, everybody pay attention. There's an Amalekite. Remember, Saul lost the kingdom because he disobeyed God. He wanted to glorify his political reputation by, by sacrificing Amalekite cattle and by killing the Amalekite king in his capital. And God had said, just do it there. And God, Saul had said, oh, no, no, I want to honor God. And Saul wanted to honor himself. And the tragedy of Saul's sin was he didn't realize he was sinning. He was so steeped in his egotism that he didn't realize it. He thought he was doing God's will, but he was just glorifying himself with the trappings of religion. So it was the Amalekites who had been put under the ban. <clears throat> well, guess what? There's an Amalekite at the battlefield, and Saul says, uh, 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 you know, you got you to gotta, uh, help, me, help me die. So it's an Amalekite ultimately. Saul is committing suicide, but it's an Amalekite who gives him the sword thrust who helps him commit suicide. And there's a symbol there. You don't get rid of what God tells you to get rid of in your life. It's going to kill you. I think this is a, that's a powerful, powerful parable in a way. Well, so there we go. So the guy who brings the news to, uh, um, to David, uh, uh, he's somehow involved with it. Uh, and, um, well, guess what? He's, he gets killed. You know, he thought, you know, he brings the crown to David, and he thought David was going to be all excited, and David was not. So moving along, uh, Saul's army is routed by the Philistines in chapter 31, as we read. Now we go to, if I can find it, 2 Samuel. And um, the the uh, uh, David mourns this beautiful lament for, for Saul and Jonathan by David. Uh, so David was at war with him, but still loved and respected him. 
Well, David is then made king of Judah, and uh, the general makes one of the remaining sons of Saul, King Ishbosheth, and he was king for two years. And then they come to David and ask him, this is where we are now, 2 Samuel, the fifth chapter, uh, after Ishbosheth, as they say, comes a cropper, they, the rest of the tribes of Israel ask David to be king. You got to read this stuff. I mean, the summary. I'm not doing it at all justice. It's read it and and call in and ask questions if you don't understand something. All right, let's go to today's reading. <clears throat> um, Jerusalem is still held by the Canaanites. Four hundred years after they're supposed to be driven out, and uh, uh, David sets out for Jerusalem, and this is where Jerusalem becomes uh, the capital of of the people of Israel. This, this is a truly amazing story. Now, let us go to the gospel. Mark, the third chapter, the 22nd verse, the scribes, that means the lawyers, the people who are experts in the law. They came from Jerusalem, said of Jesus, he's possessed by Belzebul. Belzebul, that's, it's kind of a pun. It was, uh, uh, the name of one of the gods of the of the Philistines, but it, it Belzebub can also mean king of the flies, lord of the flies. This is uh, so it's it's a bit of a pun. <clears throat> so the print by the prince of demons he drives out demons. Now let us discuss the style of exorcism of the ancient world. Don't do this at home. Seriously. I, I say that facetiously, but I mean it. You don't. The only thing I can recommend, if you're interested in things about exorcism and demonology and all that, read C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters. Better than read it. Read it along with listening uh, to it um, um, as recorded by John Cleese of Mighty Python and a Fish Called Wanda. Just do a web search for John Cleese, Screw Tape Letters 1, YouTube. It'll come up. John Cleese, that's C-L-E-E-S-E. John Cleese, Screw Tape Letters 1, that's chapter 1, uh, and uh, YouTube. It'll, it'll come up, and it's, it's, it's masterful. It's amazing. Uh, I know an exorcist who said he wondered where C.S. Lewis got all that because it's right on spot. <clears throat> so, with that precaution... The, one of the methods for exorcism in the ancient world was you found the name of a bigger demon than the demon that was afflicting your patient. And there were exorcists throughout the ancient world. Every Jewish rabbi was supposed to be an exorcist at the time. And I think Sephardi rabbis still, still I thought of as exorcists. Ashkenazi rabbis, not so much. Um, but uh, um, at the time of Christ. The Greeks had exorcists. The Egyptians had exorcists. Everybody blamed everything on the devil. And the Jews had exorcists. And they did it with feathered rattles and dancing about and incantations and potions. Jesus said, get out. <laughs> and that was amazed people because he cast out demons with authority. Uh, he just said, get out. Uh, he didn't have to jump around and get special potions and mandrake roots and all this nonsense. Well, one of the big ways to cast out demons was... You mentioned the name of a bigger demon, and it scared the smaller demon, and, you know, that's all she wrote. They would actually have lists of names, some of them nonsense words, just in case they had stumbled over the, 
the name of a demon. They would they would have these long lists, and they would just read these names. Some of those were just nonsense words that they'd made up. That's what Jesus said meant when he said the pagans think that by uh, making uh, repetitive lists they can uh, they can um, be effective. Don't do that. He's not talking about litanies. He's not talking about the Hail Mary. You know, the Psalms, uh, there's Psalms that are litanies. For his great love is without end. For his great love is without end. For his great love is without end. So repetitive prayer, that's that's not what we're doing. What the ancient exorcist did was this kind of repetitive prayer. And Jesus says, um, uh, <clears throat> how can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom's divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. So uh, the... the uh, uh, this idea of the strong man, this is big with, with Pentecostals and evangelicals. What, who is the strong man? No one can enter a strong man's house to plunder his property unless he first ties up the strong man. I read that, that, that we're the person plundering the house. Jesus is the person plundering the house. And you bind the strong man. The strong man is the devil. And you bind him, I think, the way I read it, you bind him by the, the state of grace, you know, by by a life of prayer by living in a state of grace, you you tie up the devil and allow Jesus uh, to come. You know, I, the devil thinks. I've I've heard people say. I actually think this was an exorcist said. The devil doesn't know he's beaten, or the devil doesn't think he's beaten. Uh, he is, and and we're the ones. You know, uh, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. The gates of hell shall not prevail. We always think that we're the ones inside the fortress being attacked by the devil, and frequently we are, unfortunately. But we're the ones who are supposed to be attacking hell. We're the ones who the devil—the devil should be more worried about us than we are about the devil. I'm not saying take the devil lightly, but the devil should be afraid of you. Um, I remember a story, and I've shared this a number of times. A a great evangelist in the age before electrification was in— staying in a back bedroom in a house and the house began to shake and the rattling chains and the, the vibrating bed and the, the low moans. And he lit a candle and went out in the hallway and there sat the devil and all of his evil magnificence. And he looked at the devil and said, oh, it's only you blow out the candle and went back to bed. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. One should have a healthy respect for these things and not want to get involved with them, but understand that by a life of prayer, and I believe especially the rosary, that by a life, because it's it's quoting it's quoting uh, the section of scripture fifty three times, when God became man, when the Son of Man came from heaven to earth, the incarnation. Blessed are you, blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. It's it's reminding the devil that the human body, especially a woman's body, is sacred. Something we need to remember today, especially uh, that that um, uh, that's why the rosary is so powerful. Jesus defeated the devil by quoting scripture, not by. Ever, by bread alone shall you live, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we defeat the devil by scripture. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. We're quoting scripture. The devil hates that passage because it reminds him that God so loved the world that he entered the world in Christ. So uh, <clears throat> by state of grace, by prayer, you bind the devil who thinks he owns you. He doesn't. But you got to make sure that you give ownership of your life and yourself to God. All right. Well, what about the sin against the Spirit? Uh, 
be patient, be patient. Okay, let's take a break. We'll come back with letters, and you can call in at 888-914-9149, This hour is sponsored by Ave Maria Mutual Funds, where financial goals are aligned with pro-life values and fund decisions are based on investment fundamentals designed to preserve and grow wealth without violating moral beliefs. More information at AveMariaFunds.com. Yes, yes, yes. Listen to the song while I find the mouse. There it is. All right. Always losing my mouse. Oh, there's the mouse. Okay, moving along here. Let's go to letters. And the phones are open at 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. Okay, let's, a letter here. I got letters, lots of letters. All right. Um, this is, uh, what is this? This is, um, <clears throat> I feel that I, this is from Alice. I feel that I should somehow know this, but I don't, I get that feeling a lot. This year, Ash Wednesday falls on February 14th and Easter on March 31st. Other years, Easter can be as late as in May. How do the ecclesial powers that be, <laughs> the ecclesial powers that be, that's a phrase, uh, <clears throat> pick the date every year, probably not by throwing a dart at the calendar. You're absolutely right, Ellis. They do not throw a dart at the calendar. Originally, the this is very problematic because originally there was a, a, a dispute in the church as to the date of Easter. There were some people wanted to celebrate on a calendar date. Others, more influenced by the Jewish calendar, wanted to tie it to the... Um, the uh, Jewish uh, Feast of Passover, which would make more sense. Now, the Jews confused the whole issue by having both a lunar and a solar calendar. Their feasts go on a lunar calendar. You know, the problem with a lunar calendar is the, the cycle of the moon, what is it, 28 days, something like that, and uh, uh, <clears throat> doesn't quite fit in. So you have to do all sorts of mathematics to keep the lunar calendar and the solar calendar at all related. Therein lies part of the problem. In addition to it, we had calendar reform in the Western Church, which they did not have in the Eastern Church, which made the the uh, uh, the dating of Easter uh, even more complicated. I think, if I recall, that Easter is the first Sunday after the spring equinox. Is that right, dear voice in my head? I am not the right person to ask. <laughs> I'm not either. I can only, as I always say, I can only count to 20 if my shoes are off. But it's pegged to uh, a certain a particular uh, uh, cycle of the moon. Okay, we got something. The internet said that Easter is celebrated on the first Sunday after the Paschal full moon. Yes, the Paschal full moon. In other words, it's you got Passover, you got the first full moon after the Passover, then you got Easter. That's how they choose the date. And it's 
it it's it it was one of the first actually it's it's one of the first expressions of the papacy because there was a dispute about uh the um the dating and people asked the bishop of Rome and he gave a judgment a lot of them disagreed with it but eventually uh it prevailed um uh, then it got all derailed again when uh there was calendar reform it's rather complicated but um uh i'm sure the lord doesn't <laughs> mind as much as as we do. All right. Let's think of it as George Washington. Oh, that's another thing that um, the the early date, I, I forget what the earliest date for Easter can be, but it, it is in March. And um, the the reason we celebrate Christmas, I've shared this, is on December 25th because Jesus was crucified. The calendar date of Jesus' crucifixion in the early church was regarded as March 25th. A prophet always died on the anniversary of his conception. That was the that was the belief. So Jesus would have been conceived on March 25th, thus born nine months later on December 25th. It's when people tell you that Christmas is just trying to mask a Roman feast. That's a bunch of hooey. All right. Speaking of hooey, let's move on. All right. Now we got a letter from not that the letters uh, hooey. This is uh, Marie and Aurora. Can you tell me the difference between centering prayer and legitimate Catholic meditation? Um, no, I can't. I, I, you know, prayer is defined as the lifting of the mind and heart to God. Dear voice man, have you ever heard a good definition for meditation? It's, it's, I've never figured it out. Yeah, there's books that talk about it. I know Jacques Philippe has a lot of books. That, yeah, he's good. That talk about meditation. I think like contemplation is more being taken up into the mystery of God, and meditation usually is like you read a passage of scripture, you mull over you it, mull it in your yes. brain, and then you 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 sit with that word or idea that comes yes. from you. So I think it has a little bit more to do with like discursive reasoning and working with the spirit that way, where yes. contemplation is more about like what God is doing in the resting yes. of of the spirit. That's a good definition. Me, I just talk to Jesus. Um seriously, I I I've, I'm a diocesan priest. Meh. So uh you know I just the prayer is the best definition of prayer I, I learned as a child. It's the lifting of the heart and mind to God. And it, meditation is a wonderful thing. Uh you know we meditate on the mysteries of the rosary for instance. If you say the rosary in a sense you're meditating. Now centering prayer is as I understand it it's it's where you try to uh, to exclude the distractions around you. And uh, one of the holiest people I ever knew uh, was in, had to do a centering prayer. And actually, the goal of centering prayer, if I understand it correctly, is more contemplation, that you're taken up into the presence of God. Um, again, I, I may not be the person to talk to because all I do when I pray is talk to Jesus and read the Bible and Think about these things. Yes. The Catechism starting at 2705 has a section on meditation and then also on contemplation. <laughs> there so you that, go. Those are both helpful resources. Uh, very helpful. What are those uh, passages again? 2705, and I'll put it in the show notes. Oh, good. I'll have to, I'll have to study it. <laughs> again, you know, you're talking to somebody who's not that sophisticated. All right, moving along here. Uh, you'd think I would be after all these years, but I just talked to Jesus. Okay, uh, this is a tough one. Uh, this is from John in Phoenix. The pa- this passage is very convicting. No one who is born of God practices sin because he, uh, <clears throat> his, 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 his something abides in him. 
and his spirit abides in him. I think it's a misprint. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. The problem is, I dealt with a passage uh, like this, but the problem is that it is in Greek, of course. And the problem there, oh, good, good grief there, ah, uh, the problem there is there are different modes of the verb in Greek that we don't really have in, in English. And if it's a present, a present verb, uh, it means a continuous action. Uh, so let us look at the, at the, at the verbs here. Uh, no one who has been engendered or born by God or, or from God, uh, uh, and the word is poye, which means make. It means continually practices sin uh, because, um, <clears throat> oh, the, the seed, the, the, the seed of God, the seed of him in him. In other words, the seed of God in that person remains. And he is unable, and this is a present infinitive, to keep sinning. You got to understand that in, in Greek, you got a present. The present tense means to do something and keep doing it. They have something called the aorist tense, which means just done. This is an important understanding. You know, that no one, uh, <clears throat> very few people, maybe not no one, but nobody I know, including me, uh, is, is, is perfected in this world. And, but the thing is that, that as I get older and as I know God better, sin is far less attractive than it used to be. Uh, that that uh, an indulgence, a plenary indulgence is available for those who have lost all attachment to sin. And the more that the seed of God grows in us, he's saying, remember, he calls it the seed of him. What's with seed? You know, a, a seed is tiny, but within that seed is is this beautiful plant. Remember when you were a kid and you you, you planted a little bean in the Dixie cup and put it on the kindergarten ledge and watered every day, and soon a plant came out. That plant was inside that little seed somehow, and all it needed was the right conditions to explode out and become this huge, beautiful thing. So it is. That's that's why it's important. One of the important words in this passage is seed, that God plants a seed in us, a seed of his love and grace, and that seed grows if we nurture it. So this is a process of life. And, you know, oh, I must not be a Christian. I, I, I stole a rubber band from work. No, are you stealing more rubber bands or fewer rubber bands from work? Is the seed of God growing in you and squeezing out sin? And I would say in my advanced age, yeah, I've got a lot of sin left in me. But a lot of it's been pretty squeezed out by, by the presence of God. And, and that's grace. It isn't because I'm a virtuous person. You know, I've been dragged into the kingdom kicking and screaming like most of us. But understand that it, what it really says is no one keeps sinning and continues, sins continuously if the seed of God is living in him. Uh, I remember a, an old Pentecostal preacher saying, you're either in the kingdom, you know, you don't, you're never in the kingdom, you're entering into the kingdom. Uh, 
or you're you're coming away from the kingdom. It's it's never static. It's never I'm in. No, you're growing in God's royal nature. Or you're or you're you're shrinking in God's royal nature. It's it's a process that 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 continues. It's a continuous thing. And if you you cannot be oh, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Yeah, I'm an embezzler, but I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian embezzler. It doesn't work that way. So I hope that answers answers your question. Um it's a tough one, but again, if you understand it in, in its context, it, it it makes great sense. Let's see. Oh, we got lots of lines open at 888-914-9149. That's 888-914-9149. Let's do another letter. Okay. Oh, there. I'm looking at that. What, what time? Where? Oh, time. Okay. One more letter. Okay. One more letter. One more letter. It's fun. I enjoy the letters. Oh, I enjoy the calls. Um, I am contacting you about UFOs and the stance of the Catholic Church. I am not well versed in UFOs. Does the Catholic Church have a stance about UFOs? <laughs> yes, it does, actually. And uh, I forget which Pope said. I think was it Pope John Paul II, St. John Paul? He said uh, that, yeah, if there are, are intelligent and and beings who have souls and we make contact with them, we'll tell them about Jesus. Um, that's, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Um, uh, I, my personal opinion is that, that uh, what is it, is it, is it Isomov's, uh, somebody wrote a, a, a sort of quandary about this, a question. It was a great, a great futurist who said, if there are other intelligent beings in the universe, why have they not clearly contacted us yet? And people say, but they have, but they have. I'm not sure. It's not so clear. Um, either we're alone or they're so far away. The Fermi paradox, who, yes, yeah, so what was Fermi's first name, the great physicist? Well, he was a great physicist, Dr. Fermi. Well, Enrico Fermi, there's a paradox. Can you read the paradox there? We'll get the paradox for you. Okay, the Fermi paradox is the discrepancy between the lack of conclusive evidence of the advanced extraterrestrial life and the apparently high likelihood of its existence. If life, as the 2015 article put it, this is from Wikipedia, if life is so easy, someone from somewhere must have come calling by now. Yeah, it may be because of the vast distances of space, uh, uh, but so far, and well, but it, what could happen is they artificial intelligence, they, they can cover the vast distance of space. They haven't conclusively, I thought that the Congress said that, that we have definite proof of UFOs. Congress said it, so of course we can trust it, right? Yeah, moving along here. The, uh, uh, I don't think there's been conclusive evidence uh, of UFOs, but if if they're if they're beings with souls capable of of loving and being loved, then um, we'll tell them about Jesus. They may already know about Jesus. Oh, oh, C.S. Lewis, he's really good. His whole trilogy is about UFOs and what what might happen. Very good stuff. That hideous strength out of the Silent Planet and Paralandra. All right. With that said, I'm gonna. Uh, go to uh, a break, and we'll come back with a word of the day. And the phones will be open at 888-914-9149. 
Today, we'd like to thank Tom, who's listening in Illinois, for donating his 1978 Slickcraft boat. You can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles, trucks, boats, and RVs by visiting relevantradio.com slash car. That's relevantradio.com slash car. Yes, I want to see my Jesus shake his hand and have him greet us. It's, uh, it's something to look forward to. That said, let's go to the word of the day. The word of the day is blasphemy. You didn't think I was going to get to it. In the reading, we, we hear about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And the word blasphemy is a Greek word, which means, uh, it's quite a word, blasphemy, blasphemer. It means to speak, to speak harm. You know, the idea of, of uh, 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 blas is a, a prefix that means injure, injury, and uh, uh, feme is speaking, a speaking of injury, speaking of harm. And the, the lawyers said to Jesus, it's by the prince of demons that you cast out demons. And what this, everyone worries, a father I've committed against the sin against the spirit. If you can say that, you haven't committed the sin against the spirit. Um uh, the people who commit the sin against the Spirit don't know they've committed it. Well, how can it be a sin if they don't know? Oh, that they'll explain. What we believe is that, well, uh, let me summarize. The, 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 the sin against the Spirit is the refusal to admit that something is the Holy Spirit. The, the, the scribes came up to Jesus, and they were from God. And if Jesus were from God, he would look like they did. And he didn't look like them. He looked like a day laborer, which is what he was. That couldn't be from God. Look at, just look at his fingernails. He can't be from God. The refusal to, to recognize the Holy Spirit. So they said he's just using one of these exorcist tricks to cast out demons. He's using the name of a bigger demon to scare off little demons. And Jesus, in another version that says, if I do that, by whom do your, do your people cast out demons? <clears throat> so... The idea of the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is a refusal to recognize the Holy Spirit working. In other words, it is to become the judge of God. It's to know more than the Holy Spirit is pleased to tell us. And it has two—it's a, a coin with two sides. One side is despair. My sin is too big for God to forgive, so I won't even ask him. And the other side of blasphemy is the sin that's popular in our age. It is presumption. It is saying, I don't need God's forgiveness. God needs my forgiveness. I mean, if he's God, how could he permit things like the Holocaust? Or how could he permit me? Why would he demand that I not do as I please? And, you know, I don't need God for God's forgiveness. God needs my forgiveness. I used to say when I was a pastor that the only person not welcome at St. Lambert's was was the person who who uh, who didn't sin. They didn't need us. If you have no sins, you're not welcome here because you don't need us. Sinners like me were very welcome at St. Lambert's. You get the point that if I say I have no sin, that's a blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. It's 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 saying the Holy Spirit is nothing. The minute that you say yes, I do need God, you step out of the sin against the Spirit. Uh, 
God has chosen to not be able to let that sin go because we cling to it. The minute that I let go of that sin, I'm the only one, in a sense, who can get me out of the sin of the Spirit by saying, I do need God, or I was wrong. God's mercy extends even to me, who am a great sinner. That that uh, Remember, despair, God can't forgive my sin, it's bigger than God, and, and uh, presumption, I don't need God's forgiveness, I'm bigger than God. When you step out of that, God begins to move in your life again. No one can say, well, I'm damned because I've committed the sin against the Spirit. I actually had a friend when I was young who was into witchcraft who believed that. She, she, God, her sin was bigger than God. I don't know what became of her. Please, God, that she finally came to know you. So blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is to say, nah, the Holy Spirit isn't all that. Okay, let's move on to phones. The phone is ringing. Omar from Round Rock, how can I, what can I do for you? Hi, Father Simon. Well, I just have a quick question. Uh, it's regarding the apostasy. Mm-hmm. Uh, just I'm not familiar with it. I've heard about it. Um, and what does that mean? Apostasy to Jesus Christ coming and to the church. Apostasy is is uh, it literally in Greek it means standing away. The apostasy is the leaving of the church. Uh, there are more Catholics this year than last year in the world. However, there are fewer in uh, um, Europe and America relative to the general population. So there is an apostasy going on in in the first world, <laughs> so-called, whereas in the third world, people are embracing Christ by the boatload. So we're not in the midst of a great apostasy. One of the signs of the 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 end times, and of course— this is not part—I don't believe it's part of, of the apostolic tradition. But a lot of very competent theologians and spiritual writers have said that there are a number of signs of, of, the, of the, the end. One of them is the great apostasy. We're not in a great apostasy. We're in a time of apostasy, of people standing away from their faith, but not the great apostasy, because more people are coming into the church than are leaving it. Uh, does that help, Omar? Yes, yes, it does. Um, um... And uh, I, one more question, if sure. you have time, um, in regards to the, uh, which you partly answered it already, yeah. but, um, forgiveness of sins, yeah. or um, not, uh, uh, ask me against the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So, yeah, so not going to confession, is that that could be that could, that could be a, a, a blasphemy. I don't need, I don't need confession. I don't need confession. I can just I can just do what I please. I don't have to confess my sins to a man. Yeah, I think that is presumption, and I think that is that fits in with the sin against the Holy Spirit. So thanks for calling, Omar. God bless you. Good questions. Let's go to Craig from Phoenix. Craig, what can uh, I do? Hi, Father. Hi. Yes. Yes. Uh, hi. Hi. Yes, uh, I have a question. Uh, Canon Law thirteen ninety seven states that uh, a Catholic who procures an abortion is automatically excommunicated. Yep. I'm one. Yeah. Yes. I'm wondering why that murder is excommunicated, excommunicable, but no other murders. Because that murder is against someone who's absolutely innocent. That, that, uh, you know, you may commit a murder uh, of someone else and they may be innocent of, of whatever it is you want to kill them for, but they're not absolutely innocent. They've gotten the chance 
to choose God, uh, whereas a child in the womb is is absolutely innocent. And that, I would think, is why. So I hope that helps. Well, it helps absolutely, yes. God, God bless the unborn children. Amen, amen. God bless. Let's go to Karen, who's calling in from Hudson, Wisconsin. What can I do for you, Karen? Hi, I received a message from somebody that said, pretty sure the Bible doesn't say, when I was hungry, you put me on a bus. When I was thirsty, you booked me on a one-way ticket. When I was a stranger, you treated me like cargo and shipped me off. Okay, my question is, how can I answer them? Do I answer them? Do I just let it go? I'm, you know. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'd let it I'd let it go. That, that um, you know, I would say to that person, oh, have you invited someone who's homeless into your home? That's how I'd do it. Have have you done that? Have you have you you think that's true? Have you done it? Well, that's different. That's I'm talking about politicians. You're judging someone else. That that um, you know some. You know, don't make rules for other people. Hear the word of God for yourself. And if that person says, uh, you know, the Bible doesn't say, you know, I I I ship them off. Okay, then I I next time I find someone who's homeless, I'll send them to your address. Try that. <laughs> They'll say, "Well, that's not what I, that's not that's not what I meant." I mean, well, what did you mean? What are you doing for the homeless? Are you feeding the poor? Are you clothing the naked? Are you doing it? Don't ask if if somebody somewhere is doing it, or if if your neighbor's doing it. Ask if you're doing it. That's what I would tell them. Does that help? Ridiculer judge. Yeah. yeah. I have another question. Sorry. What's that? I my question is um, Adam and Eve. Neither of them had. Belly buttons? Or <laughs> I don't know. I wasn't there. They probably didn't, but... <laughs> One would presume they didn't. <laughs> Somebody asked me that, too. Yep, and yep. I was like, oh, I'm not... I don't think they did, but <laughs> their uh, pe- following people, I think, did have umbilical cords. Yes, the, right? the tradition okay. is, and I think it's even a tradition, Art, that Adam and Eve do not have belly buttons. They don't have, do not have navels. This is, I would say to a person who said that there are other theological issues about which I am more concerned. The way in which God formed, uh, God formed Adam and Eve from the clay of the earth. The process by which they did that, if it involved belly buttons or not, I do not know. And about that, I am not worried. I am much more worried about the sin they committed <laughs> by eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and how I can... I can uh, come back from that. That's what I would say. Does, I don't know if that helps at all, Karen, but I've been asked that question before. And, well, there is a tradition that they did not have belly buttons. But who knows? Does that help at all? It, it helps. <laughs> okay. It helps. God bless, Karen. Have a good day. Thank you. Bye-bye. I'm, I'm going to be thinking about that all day long and giggling. Let's go to Nick from Chicago. What can I do for you, Nick? Uh, hi, Father Simon. Uh, uh, two questions. First one is... Uh, I'm Roman Catholic, yes. and uh, I attend Catholic Mass, but there have been some Sundays where I have attended uh, Protestant uh, churches uh, instead, and is that considered okay? Or uh, Were you unable to go to a Catholic church or just chose to go to a Protestant one instead? I just chose to because I figured um, it's all about Christ ultimately, uh, um, whatever these particular churches, it seemed to me, you know, the, the, the big difference, you got to go back to the Reformation, which Martin Luther said that Mass is not a sacrifice. It is, it is for the uh, 
I think, what did he say? He just said, for the edification and the instruction of the congregation. In other words, Martin Luther created a situation in which God was not worshipped in Sunday services. He may have been praised. The only fitting worship of God is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of his only begotten son. So you failed to worship God on Sunday by going to a Protestant service. There's no problem in expressing our mutual love for Christ and attending a Protestant service if we understand that it is not the not what not what Christ established. Jesus established the Mass, and he said, do this in memory of me, because it is the only and the perfect worship. You know, worship, you know, uh, has to do with offering fitting sacrifice to God, and they do not offer sacrifice. So you lost out when you failed to go to the sacrifice of the Mass. So uh, participating in the, in the spirit of ecumenism and mutual respect with non-Catholics is quite legitimate. However, it is never a substitute for the perfect sacrifice of the Mass, which Jesus himself established. So I hope that helps a little bit, Nick. So, It, it, it does, and I prefer the Catholic Masses. And one more quick question, Father. What do you think of the radio ministry of J. Vernon McGee? Uh, McGee? I've never heard it. I don't think. So I can't, I can't comment on it. So, uh, you know, I mean, the, 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 you know, we've been talking about this stuff for 2,000 years, and for 2,000 years we've done what Jesus asked. He said, do this in memory of me, not have a nice prayer meeting or not, not have a nice Bible study or not have a wonderful song session. He said, do, you know, one of the things about Calvary is you realize that the way the Jews looked at it, if, if the Last Supper, and I, I maintain that it was, scholars argue about this all the time, but if the Last Supper was on Thursday night and Jesus was crucified on Friday, as far as Jews are concerned, that was one day. The day starts at sundown and ends at sundown, more or less, uh, for Jews. So Thursday and Thursday night and Friday are one day. That The sacrifice of Calvary and the Last Supper were one day, one moment in God's eyes. And, and uh, we have the opportunity of going to Calvary not just singing some nice songs and hearing a sermon. So the Protestant service is never a substitute for the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Uh, one should be loving and respectful to people who claim Christ as their Savior. We're in this together. But we've been given a wonderful gift. All right, let's go to Therese. we got one minute. Therese from Palos Heights, what can I do for you really quickly? Quick question, Father. If I ran across a Samaritan today... What would their job title be? Their job title? It depends if they're mechanics, if they're <laughs> they're 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 Samaritans. There's about eight nine hundred Samaritans left, and they do things like well, fix cars and and uh, 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 build cabinets. So uh, they're still there, and they claim to be Israelites. I don't know if that's what you're asking, but I gotta go because Drew is coming up. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> 